If you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, chapter 28. As we take a look at the scripture today, Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord and uh, Savior, Jesus Christ, we're going to take a look at that early morning. But before we get into that part of the scripture, I want to take you back just a few scriptures, a few verses, to actually chapter 27, verse 57. And I'm going to read through the whole thing, and as you know, we'll go verse by verse and we'll cover it all, but we want you to get a setting and understanding of our topic today. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to, to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, how the, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And saying to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the, sto the, the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and it came and rolled back the stone from the door, and it sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring, to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his, tell 
his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make, make, make you secure." So they took the money and did as they were instructed in these. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, as we look at our teaching today here, the key thing that you and I need to make sure as a foundation is that the teaching of Jesus' resurrection is a foundational element to a Christian faith. So if you do not believe that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead and he's alive and he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I, then you need to know that that is a fundamental truth of your faith and that you need to know that because that is what you and I proclaim to those who are not children of God. Matter of fact, the only way that you can become a believer or of a child of God is if you do believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and after three days was raised from the dead so that he could be forgiven of your sins by faith. By faith alone in Christ alone. There is no other way. As Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. There is no other way. And this historical event whereby Jesus came back from the physical death to newness of life with a glorified body, never to die again, is our foundational truth we put our entire hope of our life on. Now when you and I take our eyes off of a resurrected Jesus... A Jesus God who is alive and interceding for you on a daily basis. If you forget that, we see in the scriptures that you will grow, grow weak and eventually you come so weak you die out, right? You, you stop believing. You, stop, you walk away. You, you leave your first love, as the scripture says. We don't want that ever to happen. 
Once you understand that's your foundation, that is what you base your life upon, every day you celebrate with gladness and joy. You become strong. And then whatever that God is going to take you through day by day, you become strong because when you're weak, he makes you strong, does he not? You realize that you're nothing compared or without Jesus. And so that becomes your foundation. That becomes who you are. That's who you draw your strength from. That's what you focus your eyes upon when the, the, the things and the stuff of this world comes engulfing you. You just say, Lord, you're in control. And soon and very soon you're coming back for me. This is all temporary. And he builds you up and strengthens you to go through what he's asking you to go through each and every day. See, because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is one of the central foundation elements of the Christian faith. His bodily resurrection validates the claim that he is both Lord and Christ. It's what substantiates the argument that his life and death were not just a life and death of a good man. Someone who loved, kind of lived that kind of really good, kind of perfect life. And, you know, it's someone you can model yourself after. It's someone, yeah, maybe I can, you know, choose him to follow in my life as an example. Or I can choose this other guy. And, or many of the things in the world today, oh, I'll pick this sports leader. And I'll pick this professor. And I'll pick this person. Or I'll even pick my dad. But to be that role model that I'm going to be, I'm going to strive to be like. Who we want to strive to be like is Jesus. To be Christ-like, that's what it means to be Christian, is to be Christ-like. To put our eyes on any one other man or woman as our role model is unless they're following Jesus and unless they're modeling and, and, and reflecting Jesus, we don't want our eyes on that person. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's our Redeemer. He's the one's our savior. He's our master. See, true Christian sharing of the good news is centered on the fact that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead so that believers may have victory over sin and death and receive the blessings of eternal life. That's why we celebrate. And here we see in the scriptures, in, 50, in verse 57 of chapter 27, we see this man named Joseph. Joseph Aramath, who was a rich man, who had money, who had power, who had position. He was prominent in the community. Everything going for him. But he was still empty. He still didn't have eternal life. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus allowed, and God allowed him to, as, as he became a believer, he was what would be called a hidden believer. Because of the position and place he found himself, God allowed him to be able to stay quiet about his faith. Why is that? Even though the scripture says we're not to be quiet about our faith, we're to be shouting from the mountaintop we're supposed to be sharing about the we don't know all the story of how he was sharing his faith and with whom but we know that it was pretty quiet based on the scriptures and i believe as we see in the, the story today we now know why from my perspective we know why 
he seems to be so quiet in the scripture about sharing his faith. Because we see in the scripture that God is going to use him to claim the body of Jesus. And because of the resources, he's going to be able to put that body in the tomb that he had hewn out for this purpose. He may not have known it. I don't know if that was his personal um, tomb for his body, for his family. And he had a rich, and they had it all sitting there, and, and he was waiting for him to die, and that was where his body was going to be. Or he knew Jesus was going to die, and he had it hewn out specifically for him. Either way, God used that man for the purpose of prophecy that we see in Isaiah. Isn't that beautiful? That in Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. We see that prophecy fulfilled at this moment in time right here. God had it planned out from the beginning. But you know, as we look at all four Gospels, we know that it wasn't just Joseph that claimed that body, don't we? We know when you look at John, or John chapter 20, Nicodemus was also a very prominent man in the society, both on the religious side. He too was a hidden Christian. Going about in that position of promise, I bet you he was influencing at a high level within the government and within the religious realm and community, sharing and sharing. Because he too secretly went and met with Jesus, did he not? But God honored that and used that for, again, the purpose and so we see here, here comes Jesus has died on the cross and they went to Pilate and these two men, you know, Pilate knew these men. There weren't some strangers coming from the church. Oh, here, the, here comes a couple of pastors. You know, what are they going to ask me again? These are two prominent rich men who could speak Pilate's language. <coughs> Excuse me. And they came and said, went to Pilate and asked, we want the body of Jesus. And Pilate commanded and said, yes, give him, give him the body of Jesus. As we see in the scripture, they empowered, I think it was 100 pounds of uh, anointing, embalming, to prepare the body with wrappings of the linen, the white linen. And they took these two men, took them. Can you picture it? Going up there and trying to get the body of their Lord. But if you draw your attention to the scripture here, if you see in verse 59, what does it say? It says, when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Jesus wasn't in that body anymore. It was just a body. Remember, when the body dies, the soul, the spirit leaves. It's just an empty body. When the baby is born in the, in the womb of a woman, it is not an it. It's a baby. Body, soul, and spirit. When the body dies, it's just the body. It, then you can call it an it. But you never call a baby in a woman's womb an it. It's a human being. And so this, we see in the scripture... The language changed here. It didn't say that they took the body and wrapped him in a linen cloth, does it? 
It wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And then they had this large stone rolled over and sealed the tomb. Now, if you've known, you've done the research, you know that they took this on the side of the cave. You ever been to Israel? You see them, they're everywhere. And they chiseled away and created this place where you could go in underneath this mountain and into the, the stone that's been hewed out, chiseled away. That's a lot of labor cost. It wasn't cheap. You had to be rich to be able to have one of these. That's why God used this, this man he's blessed, Joseph, and to have that happen. And what they did is they had this stone, which was probably about eight feet in circumference, about a foot thick of solid rock. And it would be up, rolled up and chiseled and put in place up on a slight incline. And they would dig a trench so that when they let go of the, the bracings of it, that rock would roll down and sit right into a trench. And you are not going to move that. It would take a lot of labor to move that rock. And it was sealed across so well that animals, vermins, couldn't go in and get into those bodies. Air wasn't allowed to get into those. That was a sealed, good, a solid attachment from rock to stone to the tomb. And that was in place never to be moved again until another, maybe another family member had to be buried. And then they would bring a whole you know, crew out to lift that, roll that baby back up and get the next, you know, the next body in there. But that's why they wrapped the body and they put all those alloys and spices so that it's not for embalmment because they didn't do that in the Jewish faith. What they did is they kept the stench down. That's why they put all the, the spices and everything in there. But here we see that here they've prepared it. The rock is enrolled into place. The tomb is closed and they departed. And then verse 61, Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb from a distance watching, knowing exactly where they put the body of Jesus, their Lord, their Savior. You can imagine the weeping and the crying, the sadness that they've lost their, their, their Lord, their teacher. Remember Mary Magdalene? Why was she so passionate? She was the woman that had seven demons in her that got Jesus cast out. You have seven demons and they were cast out and you set free. And now you have a life. How would you think about that person who set you free? You ever had the demon or whatever you want to call the bondage that you found yourself in? This, choose whatever that sin or sins that you found in your life. And then you heard the word of Jesus and you surrendered your life to him. And he, by the grace of God, freed you from that sin. How much love you have for your Savior who set you free from that alcoholism, that drugism, that, the pride. Name the poison. 
Remember that day? Do you remember the day of your salvation? Maybe you don't because it hasn't happened for you. Maybe today's the day of your salvation. Maybe you'll hear his voice and you'll surrender your life today for the very first time and be set free from whatever those demons or whatever that sin may plague you that you find yourself in. That's why you see these men willing to risk everything. And we see that they did risk everything. And we see the fact that on that next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. These religious leaders said, what happened? Where's the body of Jesus? What do you mean you gave that over to somebody? And they said to them, here they are going, wait a minute, Pilate, sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Do you remember him teaching that? Well, that could be a big problem. See, can you imagine the day before they're celebrating? They're seeing him on that cross. They see the fact that they beat this man. They they manipulated the people. They got the people to turn against him. Got him up on the cross, nailed to the cross, bleeding and stabbed with a spear. This guy was dead. Yes, our problem is solved. But can you imagine their conscience through the night? as God replays back the things they heard Jesus teach. And the one that stood out, if it was only one thing that God brought to their memory, or if it was a flood of things, what alerted to them was what? After three days I will rise. And they they had now what they thought was joy one day, the next day was complete fear of what could possibly happen. So what is any non-believer who thinks they're in control over their life, who can manipulate and do and control people and through money and power and prestige and manipulation, what does any right non-believer think? We're going to make this, we're going to have to control the situation. We're going to just storm this and we're going to get the right people and we got the money and we got the people. We're going to get the, you know, the political authorities. We're going to make this happen. So what do they do? Therefore, they came to Pilate and they commanded, in verse 64, commanded that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Oh, here are these controlling people. Let's make it happen. Pilate, you need to make this happen and seal it. It's sealed. I want it secured. Isn't sealing enough? It's a big rut. No, we want it secured until after the third day. And what happens? And his, so that his disciples would not come by night and steal him away. And then we would have a major problem on our hands if they did that. Because they would say that he raised from the dead, just like he taught. Then people would believe that he was God. And they, we would believe that he was We would have a mutiny on our hands. They would turn on us as religious leaders for telling them falsely. Oh, the lessons they will quickly learn. That when you think you're in control and you try to manipulate and you try to use your power and prestige and political power and everything to get your way, you forget that God is in control. 
And what happens? We see clearly in verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard. We know that was more than one guard. This is not just (laughs) Bob with his little faked gun and little pepper spray walking the mall kind of guy here. We're talking Roman guards, elite, killers. These are these guys you're not going to push around kind of guards. You've got guards. And then Pilate shows, we see in the original language, in the tensity of language, go your way. Basically saying, get out of my face. Get away from me. I'm done with you guys. I don't want to hear another thing. I was tired of you, what you did back yesterday and during the trial. And you wanted Barabbas and all the manipulation. That's it. Get, out, get, get away from me. And they left. And they guards made that tomb secure as best they had known. Ropes were brought around. We know historically ropes were brought around. They were sealing. There was a, a seal of authority was placed on that. It says, if anyone crosses this or mess with this, you will be persecuted. No questions about it. People knew no touching. No touching. And you have a guard, guards out front who could take your head off at any, any point. Do you think anyone's going in their right mind going to come close to that? Of course not. And verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. But, but this is what is so wonderful about God. Is if when you and I start creating plans and leaning on our own understanding on how we're going to get things to make it happen, and we're going to go get that happen, and because we want what we want, he can take that situation that we see here today, and they, by them securing it and putting the guards around it, what did they just do to themselves? They just nailed themselves to the fact that no way could anyone steal that body. Why? Because we know by history in the scriptures, we know that if anyone was able to get past those guards and the mission failed and someone stole that body, those guards would be killed. There was no mercy. You you, you didn't have like a soldier sitting there watching guard and watching CQ and fall asleep and they walk in and something happens. They don't sit there and give you an Article 15 back in those days. There was an extra duty. Off with your head. So you're talking committed in the mission. There was no doubt they were not going to let anyone touch that too. They had a Roman seal. No one is going to. But what they did was con- absolutely guarantee that no way could any disciple, even that when we see here, a mob of ladies coming with a passion to, to anoint their, 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 their Lord. No, even those ladies weren't going to get past those guards. And that took every excuse away. So even now as we see in the scriptures, they still use that as excuse. But we know by scripture that it was just a lie. It's just a lie. And anyone in those days who said, oh, they stole the body. 
knows as well as I do, they knew the law. They said, well, then why are these guys still alive? Because they should be dead by now, because they soldiers allowed that to happen. But there's nothing new under the sun today, is there? They paid them off with money, large sums of money. Huh. Well, how did Private Jones get a BMW today? He was poor yesterday. How did he get all the money and drive up in the BMW today? Obviously, people knew something had to happen for those soldiers to allow that to happen and then somehow come up with money. Nothing gets passed because God made sure we clearly in the scripture know that nothing was going to stop God's plan. And what is that plan? We see right there at the, that early morning. Now, after the Sabbath, after the first day of the week, began to draw Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. But we also know in the other Gospels, it wasn't just those two ladies. We also know that some of the others showed up with them. There's probably around maybe a half a dozen to a dozen women came to that tomb that morning. They traveled a mile to two miles. If they came from Bethany or from Jerusalem, there was some traveling that they did in the middle of the night to get there in the dark as the sun was rising. So there's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the other mother, the mother of James and Joseph, who call, who's also referred in the gospel as the other Mary. Salome, the mother of James and John, Joanna, the wife of Herod Steward, and other women. So there she's women coming with their spices that they bought because they came not with the intention that Jesus was raised from the dead. They came clearly in their minds, in their heart, weeping, knowing that they were coming to complete the... Maybe they didn't trust Nicodemus and Joseph to do it right. I don't know why they felt like they could. Maybe they didn't have enough time. They wrapped the body of Jesus, and they know we, they bought you know, lots of uh, uh, a proper embalmment. They had that with the guys, had it, but maybe the ladies didn't trust the guys, and they wanted to complete the process of doing it. But they were coming to do it. They were coming to see Jesus raised from the dead. They forgot. They didn't believe what Jesus said. And when they got there, you see in the scriptures, as they get closer and closer, that in verse 2, a great earthquake happened. This might have been an aftershock from the earthquake that took place the day before, right? Right? Remember when he was on the cross and the earthquake happened when he died, did it not? Maybe it was an aftershock or maybe it was actually another earthquake that God sent to, to bring to light a very momentous event that was taking place. No one forgot about that. God wanted to make sure people understood what was taking place. But here comes these ladies. They're the first witnesses to the resurrection. A fact that seems to guarantee the credibility of the account. Why? Because if it was some guy in that culture saying, Oh, this is what I saw. This is what I, I heard. Then they'd go, Oh, you're a guy. Well, okay. But when women are coming, then in that culture, they would not believe them up front. 
They had to be, they, Jesus was making a stance for the, the a, a change in life was going to take place for all to, at that point in time. Jesus was making a very clear state to the whole community, and especially to those men. That the women are equal to men. And you go to Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here God is witnessing to women. They are then entrusted with the words of Jesus. To go tell others of what they saw. And they were obedient. They immediately went. They knew that these women weren't going to fabricate the story. Their passion, their witness, their love was a witness to everyone who watched their lives. They know Mary Magdalene. Everyone who has the seven demons in them, everyone in that community knew who that woman was. Right? Everyone would know her. They saw her witness. All of a sudden, Jesus comes into her life and frees her from those seven demons. She became a, a bright light in that community. When those women were at the foot of the cross and men were scattering and they weren't, they were a witness to those around of their commitment and their love and their worship for their Jesus. They were up early in the morning with a commitment to go and finish and make sure the body was prepared. Thinking the stone there, how are we going to remove the stone? They didn't care. Sometimes love blinds you to reality at times. But they went. They didn't look at the obstruction and the what ifs and who, who could possibly be and all the reasons for not. They were committed to do what they knew was right to do. But God already had a path already paved for them. He was going to send an angel. In this case, we know the scripture was more than one angel, at least two. And the earthquake would open up that rock for them. The barrier for them to come and to worship and to prepare the body for Jesus. God made sure those worshiping hearts had a way to, to the Lord. That is a good reminder for you and I. There are people who will try to stop you from worshiping. Will try to push you down and tell you you're crazy and why do you go to church and, and the enemy and your head can say that sometimes. Your flesh will say that. But God is going to show you a way and give you the strength and the ability and remove if you will be just stay steadfast and getting there to worship your Lord. You must go. You must trust that he is going to pave a way and remove any barriers. For you to be able to come and sit at his feet. And he will. Why? Because he loves a worshiper. He loves you as a children. Why would he not want you to sit at his feet? 
he's going to make sure of that. So what happened? Stone was removed. And then they saw this guy sitting there. And we see in the scriptures, you see it. Sometimes you, you see it at different events and at different viewpoints of the gospels where they were outside and then they're bringing them in to see what looked, what looked like in the tomb. And then you see another uh, scene where there's one sitting at the head of, the, of where Jesus was laid, body was laid, and, and the, the other one was sitting at the feet where the body was laying. And then you see them back outside. It, it's just a wonderful event of different viewpoints as you read the Gospels and how God used the angels to speak to and to show and encourage these women and these men. And he says in verse 5, Do not be afraid. Well, I always go, wow, what would they be afraid about? I mean, this, is a, this guy... This, these angels were in as white as snow. Probably illuminated, just so bright. These are they're humans, right? These are angels that look like human, but they're in white, and and they're just a presence about them that just could have just shook them to the core of what are we seeing here? I've never seen this person like this before. Or we see in the fact that the guards. These very strong, trained, elite guards were so shook and so shaken with fear, they passed out. They were like dead men. You can be so fearful that you pass out. Whatever the scene was, was, you would never forget it your whole life, would you? But listen to the words that the angel says to these women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They were seeking Jesus. What were they seeking? What were they going to gain? Were they just seeking Jesus so they could get another meal? Were they seeking Jesus so they can somehow talk him into getting another car? New little horse and buggy kind of a moment. Oh, let's go seek Jesus so that we can ask him and he'll give us the refund so we can go travel and have a vacation for the next two weeks. What, what, was it, was it, what were they seeking after? They were just seeking him. Not to get anything from him. They just wanted to spend time in his presence. Even though they knew he was dead, they still wanted to be in his presence. Do we just come and sit in our quiet place, not because we want to get something from Jesus, but just to want to just worship him and be in his presence? That's what it means. God bless you. Do you know that? That's what it means to sit and pray is just to be in his presence and share from your heart. And so these ladies come. He says, do not be afraid. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. So the angel is reminding them, just like he told you, ladies, he's going to rise after the third day. Death is not going to hold him back. And then they say, come, see the place where the Lord lay. 
I like that because sometimes you just have to come and seek him. You just have to, that's the step. You have to take a step and seek after, come to him where he's at. And see where he lay. Because then God is going to reveal to you and I, just as they did to these ladies and to the men, that he is truly risen. Just like he said he would. But then it continues here. It doesn't stop there. Then he says in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So look at that. Ah, behold, I have told you. They were being obedient. Jesus gave them the words. You're going to see these women. You're going to see them. And you're going to tell them this. That is your mission. Those angels were obedient. There goes the stone. They're waiting for the ladies. Here comes the ladies coming to them. They gave them exactly what they need to do. Come and see. He is risen. Let me remind you. Jesus told me to remind you. Just like he said he was. And then he told them to go to Galilee. Just like I told you so. And now you're supposed to go tell the disciples. Now this morning at sunrise we read Mark. And we see that Peter <laughs> made sure. And Peter. The one who denied Jesus just the other day. Three times. Now that is a good reminder for you and I. That even though we find ourselves maybe not worshiping Jesus, or we've gotten wrapped up in this world or in our flesh and really took our eyes off of Jesus, we may have been challenged at work and someone says, Are you, do you go to church? Do you know that you, you are you one of those Jesus freaks? And you go, Oh, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I'm not one of them. You know, I'm, I'm cool. I'm fine. Maybe you're one of the hidden Christians. Guess what? Jesus said, I'm coming, and I want you to know that I love you, and I'm alive for you. Fill your name in. It may not be Peter. It could be Pamela. He died for you. He's raised from the dead for you. And he's coming back for you. That's why you and I don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of anything. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence. There's going to be natural and unnatural things that are going to take place in this realm, this world, because the scripture says so. You and I do not have to be afraid. We can have such joy and peace because we know that he is alive. He is risen and he is waiting for the perfect time to come back for you and for me. Perfect time. We just get to rest in that and just go about now like the women like the men, go out and tell the disciples. Go out and tell your neighbor that Jesus is alive and he's coming back. That's all you have to do. 
and rejoice in it. Be glad in it. It's, it's a new day he's given. And then, so what did they do? These women quickly went to tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going to, in before the, uh, you into the Galilee. So in verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And in verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! <laughs> are you guys looking the way you're looking? You should be rejoicing! You do realize now I'm alive. Now I'm going to reveal myself to you so you can really see face to face. I'm alive. Should that not make you rejoice? It should make you rejoice. Jesus says we should rejoice. So they came and had held him by the feet and worshipped him. Talk about getting mobbed by the women. But then Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and th there they will see me. They need to see me. I'm going to reveal myself to them. I'm not going to leave them just hanging out there. I'm going to reveal myself so that they will believe. And I love that. It's so comforting to me. Because there's family members that are not saved. There are deep people, friendships in the business world and everywhere else from coast to coast that I have such love for that don't know Jesus. But he promises me he's going to reveal himself to them. Because he loves them that much. It's still their choice if they want to to believe and follow him. But I know our Savior, our Lord, is alive and active in everyone's life so that none shall perish, that none will go to hell. He came to the cross so that he could have us with him in heaven to free you on our path on our way to hell. Because if you're not saved, you're on the path to hell. Just stay on the same path. That's where it's leading you. Because that's where sin leads you, to death and separation for eternity with, from God. But you don't have to, because if God is revealing, and he is through the word today, you just need to believe. And you'll be forgiven. Just like that. And be set free. Because he... He has he, he is, he is sent his word. He's come into your presence today and revealed himself to you. In verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guards, as we see there, <laughs> we're in really deep trouble, guys. Can you see him when they wake up? What happened? We're dead men. Let's go run to the priests and the religious leaders to see what they got ourselves into this mess what are we going to do let's go tell them what happened because no one's going to believe us and so they didn't sit there and believe can you see the grace of God though they have witnesses come to the priests and religious leaders and said with our own eyes this what happened 
They could have repented. They could have been saved. They could have surrendered the life at that moment. Jesus was sent them back to them. And they still so hard-hearted, such stiff-necked, such, such a hardness of, of severing of the conscience that they could not receive the truth that Jesus is alive. That's hard heart. After you hear what exactly took place and you still refuse to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, oh, I pray for, I, I pray for anyone who still denies Jesus. Because that's exactly what the religious leaders just did. Eyewitness. And all they could do is say, go tell everyone that the disciples stole. What? We're trained people. No one gets past us. Well, they did. Let me give you some money to pay you off. It'll go past. It'll disappear. No worries. And so what happened? And after that, we see that they may have appeased their conscience or appeased their thoughts and thought maybe they could just let this thing die away and pay people off and then the guards won't say anything. But here's what happens. In verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into the mountain which Jesus had appointed. Ah, now they're obedient. <laughs> now they're going where they were supposed to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. They had to see the hand, the, the, the imprints in his hands. They had to, doubting Thomas, remember? It, he wanted to touch and see the hand where the nails went through and through the feet. He, he wanted to see where the spear was shoved up in between his ribs. Sometimes, yes, our hearts can be so, our minds can be so stubborn. That if we don't see proof, if I don't see it with my own eyes, I'm not believing it. Don't let the Satan stop you from having a personal relationship with Jesus. Because that's just stubborn pride. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you shall be saved. There is no other way. And so what happens is, some doubted. So Jesus is so good. He shows up, verse 18, and reminds them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. I have the keys to Hades. I have the keys to heaven. And when you have the keys, you have authority. You've ever been around uh, back in our days when we were in high school and the janitor walked around, what did they always have? The big old chains of keys. Well, here comes the janitor. But they had the power. They had keys to get into places that no one else would ever have. Jesus has the keys. You must come to him. 
for him to open up the door to be set free. He says, I have all authority. You can trust me. There's no one else you should be looking for for authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He gives them a new mission. Your mission? Go make disciples. What's our mission here at Calvary Chapel? Go make disciples. It's very simple. You see, see how, quick, how simple it is? We don't make it complicated here. Our, our, that's our vision. We make disciples. Why? Because our Lord said so. That's why we do. We train you up. We reach the lost. We train them up. We continue. We continue. We just make disciples so that you become people who follow Jesus regardless. What else are we supposed to do? Is it just for only your family members? No, we want you to have a, all nations. Wherever I take you. God made that clear to us when we first started the church up here. Lord, this, we don't, we're so small. We're to, we're to, how are we going to reach the nations? And who, we, we're just five of us. How are we going to send anyone else? We're just trying to get us started here. We're missionaries. And then God so gently remind us, I'm going to train people up, and then we're going to send them out. We're going to call it PCSing. And now we have people all over the world chiming and sending us texts this morning all around the United States and the world where they've been deployed sharing their love with us and saying they're thinking of us on this day. Because we were able to pour into their lives verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, coffee after coffee, tea after tea. Because that's what God's called us to do. And then it says here, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the, name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We want them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want them to know their God. We want them to know that's who they're following. That's who they're, that is who they put their trust in. Not in the pastor. Not in a, a, a Calvary Chapel movement. That is not where you put your, in some denomination or some pastors. Don't heap up teachers in, for your life. You're going to this teacher to this teacher because I like this. That's, God already warns us that is what's going to happen in the end times. You keep your eyes on God. Because that's all you're going to hear from here. I'm not going to guide you to the latest and greatest well-known Facebook pastor who has the latest book out. You're not going to hear it from me. I want you to read the 66 books that God gave you. And study them. And apply them. And then we see and we finish up here. After that, we're going to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's what we do. We remind you of what the scriptures say. And keep teaching you and teaching you and teaching you so that you become that godly woman, that godly mother, the godly father, the godly husband, the godly neighbor, the godly employer, the employee. You become such an example of godliness. 
doing it God's way, that there will be blessings that will be poured out in your life, and people will see it and will be just want that life, and then you get to point them to Jesus. And then you have a young man or a young woman will come alongside you, and guess what happens in the ministry? They'll remind you of your... They'll look and they'll be caught in the things that you were when you were a young lady or a young man. And now God takes what was really bad in your life, sinful life, and he turns it for good for those who love him. And now he's bringing another person alongside you so that you can do what? Make disciples of them as well. Why you can do that? Because Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And amen means what? So be it. It's complete.